Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book, but with added alcohol and cynicism. But in this episode, we're not doing that. No books. <laughs> no books. We are re-watching the film. So we're watching Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Uh, we're very excited by it. It's a magical, magical fucking film. It is a magical film. So basically grab one of your favourite drinks. Watch the film before you listen to this if you want to, because... Or don't. Or don't. It's up you to don't. you. We've all seen it We've all times. seen it, but you know, you'll have a good time watching Every it. Christmas. You know you will. Yeah. Yep. Just just use this as an excuse to watch it. Yeah. It good. It good. Grab a drink. Join us. Yeah. Woo! Woo! Hello. Hello. So we're back again. Back again. Guess who's back? It is us. Tell a friend. It's time for the film episode. It's it the Chamber is. Secrets film. I enjoyed this. Good. Would you like to sum up your feelings on this film in two sentences to start with? I loves it. Not perfect. Mm. You? This used to be, back in the day, my favourite film of mm. all of them, I think, because it was like the longest and there was so much in it. And then as I've got older and realised, like, what makes a good film? It slipped quite far down the ranks because it's just very long and quite slow. But it still just has all the memories and it's so wholesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels like a hug. Yeah, it does. We, I, I think I described it as, like, my short way of describing it is great adaptation, not a great film. Yeah, I, I think that's valid. Although, yeah. for me... I don't know, I, I'm very much of the opinion where I'm like, I want as much Harry Potter as humanly possible. Mm. So two and a quarter hours to focus on one of the shortest books is fine. Yes, perfect. Mm. Like, they all should have just followed that. And for me, like, the adaptation is where it slips up. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I was going to say, I would say of all the films, this is by far the closest adaptation. I think the first one is. Mm, I think a lot this more one... out, I think. If you think of how they squished out the dragon bit, it's such a big but change. But I think it cuts out what needs to be cut out where this doesn't cut out what should be cut no, out. Yes, and then no, changes stuff that just shouldn't have been changed. I mean, the first two just are fine adaptations and everything else just goes downhill from there. Oh yeah, big time. Oh yeah. Charlie, what are we drinking today? Um, I am drinking raspberry um, vodka with Coke which is really unoriginal for this podcast. I'm drinking cider, so also pretty unoriginal. Yeah. We've gone back to our roots. Yeah. Hannah's on like two and a half drinks. I've just started my fifth. I'm hungover. I have work tomorrow. I have work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You have work tomorrow. You're doing the sensible thing. Mm. Be fair though, like we've eaten a lot. Yes. And Absorbed we've drunk over like many, many hours. So it's yes. not as bad as five sounds. Yeah. I don't think I'm anywhere near as drunk as we're normally meant to be for this podcast, but I am hungover and like... It worked quite well because we were both hungover for the last film episode. We were. Maybe this is just a thing now. It's a thing. We're going to be hungover for the film That episode. is quite like a good change up or format. Like yeah. books, we're drunk. Film, we're hungover. <laughs> I'm still drinking though. It's both this time. Yeah. So we're going to be splitting this film episode up into the same categories as the last time we did that is plot casting cinematography and adaption 
Yeah. Um, we'll, 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 like, it's quite a free structure. Yeah. Um, that's I think, just how we're structuring yeah. it. Last time we did summarize the plot more than the we will this time. This time we more like when it's like random observations around yeah. the plot. That's I mean, you've, what we have. you've all seen the film and you've all just hopefully listened to the last 10 episodes where we describe the plot in great detail. So I don't mm. think there's any need for us to summarize the plot. Yeah. Like, if you don't remember the plot of the second film, watch why it? are you listening? Watch it. Yeah. So yeah, we're just going to go for it. So my first plot note was that um, at the beginning of the film, Harry really wants to get uh, Hedwig out of her cage. And he's like, I can't let you out, Hedwig. I can't do magic outside of school. Fucking pick the lock. No, no, no. He doesn't need to pick the lock because it was filmed with a key (laughs) in the lock. There's a key in the lock. Just turn the key. Just turn the key. Even if there wasn't. Pick the lock. Oh, but we know he doesn't know how to do that because in the books when Fred and George rescue mm. him, they're like, here's how to pick a lock. But learn. Yeah. But no, there's in the film, they just left a key there. What's your Yeah, person? I have like a really silly note, but I didn't know where else to put this. But the cake is really well decorated. Oh, it's um, beautiful. I'd more call d- it a trifle. I, I think it was very much a cake. It looked quite creamy. A trifle is in a bowl though. Well, not a trifle, like a... I think it was just decorated with like buttercream icing. Okay. I think that's what it was. Okay. But it was very well decorated. Like did Aunt Petunia make that? Yeah. Did she, It's definitely not store-bought, but she might have commissioned someone to make it. She was putting cherries these, on at the end. These are the questions that I want to know because Aunt Look, Petunia is... She, yeah, she should have been a cake baker. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, hidden talents. But the thing about that cake is when Dobby then levitates it, in the film, Harry then like walks in after mm-hmm. the cake with his arms outstretched. Yeah. And in the book, it like, they just assume it's him because he's in the room. In the film, he's literally following the cake yeah. with his arms stretched out with him. Like, it really looks like you. And also, whilst Dobby's doing it, just go upstairs. Yeah. And then they can't think it's you because you were upstairs. He's really, really not he's very smart. really stupid. Yeah. My next uh, plot note is literally just about when they're in the burrow. Yes. And there's a line when Penny's like, have you seen my jumper? And Mrs. Weasley's like, yes, dear, it's, it's on, on the, the cat. cat. I fucking love that. I always keep my jumpers on the... I mean, sometimes my cat used to be on my jumper. Is that what she means? Because sometimes my no, cat I, would I, go I, to sleep on my school jumper. I think jumper. she means the cat is wearing the jumper, which I absolutely love because who's done that? Has a cat done that? Also, do we ever actually see the Weasley's cat? I no, don't think we do. No. Which, I'm sorry, I think that's the worst thing about the entire book series. Not enough cats. Not enough cats. Every character should be a cat. Also in the Weasley's house, it shows the Weasley clock for the first time. And I noticed that Fred and George share a hand. Like, on the clock, every child has a hand, but Fred and George share one. But obviously there's a different bit on the clock for, like, dead. And I'm like, how did it work? That's did it just break? This is horrible. That's really sad. I got also, really like, weird sad. that they share a hand. Yeah, they are two different people. Yeah. Like, maybe... you. Uh, yeah, weird. Weird. Maybe it, like, malfunctioned when they were born. It was like, but two... two, two? One di- we what? were only expecting what? one. What? Like, two? One day? No. No. Definitely same person. <laughs> I said the Quidditch fight is terribly pace- paced. It's mm-hmm. incredibly slow. Um, and this, like, goes into some of my cinematography notes that basically the entire film, all the action-y bits are just so slow paced. Like, the Quidditch one especially stuck out to me, though, because, like, the two captains are up arguing but instead of being like i booked the pitch no you didn't i booked it blah blah you're a dickhead blah blah shouting over each other they just like i booked the pitch no no we have a note from professor snape let me see the note i'm like this 
have you been in a fight? This isn't how a fight works. No. This is not a fight. It was yeah. just so boring. It's a bit dry. Yeah. Um, I also said that the bit where um, the snake starts to go after Justin, mm. in the book, like the snake starts to go after him and then Harry calls him off. But in the film, the way they like CGI'd it, the snake's just sitting around Justin and then Harry starts talking to her and then the snake turns to Justin. So no wonder everyone thought it was yeah. him. Like, of course everyone thought it was him. In the in the films, they literally do make it look like this. he makes the snake attack Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing was uh, my worst note of this film. This is in very big capitals. In the Polyjuice Potion scene... Why do their voices stay the same? Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, I can't. You're, if you're taking someone's body, mm-hmm. you take their voice box. Yeah. You take their throat. Like, yeah. what, what? And also, like, I kind of understand the, what they were going for. They wanted us to remember, basically, which one was Harry and which one was Ron. But what really aggravates me about these films is that they got to book four and were like okay obviously Madame Moody's got to have his own voice so we'll just pretend we didn't make that mistake which is fine they did that with a lot of things I totally understand and then in film seven they go back yep. to them keeping their own voices and I swear I'm d- mm, yeah mm-hmm. mm, mm, yep. mm, it's the worst thing who's does nobody have an actual comprehension of how magic should work? Yeah, and it just looks worse when you're, like, putting over someone's well, voice. Well, exactly. That means it's all got to be dubbed, which is time-consuming and will never look perfect. Exactly. And, like, I, I had a note in casting about this, but, like... And I mean, this goes without saying, but, like, when you watch, like, Crab and Gold trying to be Harry and Ron, I mean, it does go without saying. They're, like, random child actors. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be great. But when you compare that later on... Yeah. ...to, like, the last films mm. when they have the grown adult mm. actors being... Ron, Hermione, yeah, um, and Harry. Like the acting is insane. It's so good. And like yeah. obviously that's you know it's not a fair comparison, mm. but gonna make it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean the kids do a pretty good job for what is a very difficult thing to explain to a child that they're acting somebody else, pretending to be the person they are. It's mm. like they do an okay job. Yeah. My next note was all, skipping all the way to when um, the chamber sequence opens up, like when the when the sinks go away. So I very clearly remember watching this film in the cinema. Um, I went with my mum, my dad and my brother, even though my brother would have been, I mean, I think this film is 2002. Mm. So my brother would have been two <laughs> um, wow. and I would have been seven. Um, and I remember being in the cinema um, and my mum had had to take my brother out because he was crying. Yeah. And then I like wasn't feeling too scared. And then it got to the bit where all the sinks like... You know, when the sinks started yeah. to go away from separate. each other and separate. I just thought the snake was going to pop out of oh. that tunnel. Like, I thought it was just going to be behind the sinks. And I remember crawling into my dad's lap and, like, burying my face in his chest and crying. And he was like, there's nothing there, Hannah. It's just some sinks. <laughs> just really scared of sinks. I was just really scared of yeah. sinks. The first one is, I'm not sure what section you put in, but I know you made a note about it. Um, Malfoy, at the end of the film, tries to use Avada Kedavra on Harry. As in Lucius. Yes, Lucius yeah. Malfoy. Yeah. yeah, I put that in... What did I... Um, adaption. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yikes. Wow. You're yeah. outside Dumbledore's office. You, you, This boy has like, oh no, he made your servant leave. So you tend to murder kid. him? Like, And it's just like, like unrealistic because like Lucius's whole thing is on like he's gotten by by like kind of not being suspected. Yeah, always very like good, he the good the line. Yeah, the line. He gives money where he needs to, says what he needs to say. Yeah, 
he, you know, there's always plausible deniability, and then it's like, I'm just gonna murder this Harry child Potter outside, outside of Dumbledore's office. Yeah, completely makes no sense. No, it's like, ridiculous. I feel like they didn't know any other spell that he could have been casting. I yeah. feel like at this point it wasn't established, so they didn't want him to just say boogly boogle and people not know that he yeah. was trying to, even though I'm sorry they could on. have had him just raise his one though like it doesn't yeah. matter it's or just like the implication any other thing you could you know you could invent a spell that does sound like some kind of bad yeah, thing yeah yeah definitely acting tone of voice body language we well would the, get the actor is very good it's not yeah. a bad you know we would get that it's not a good spell yeah but no, they were just like, well, we don't know any other bad spells, so we're going to just say Avada Kedavra. Yeah, mad. Um, I wanted to talk about Dumbledore cancelling exams here because I realised I forgot to talk about it in the last episode. So I was yeah. like, I'll stick it in here. I have tried to rectify this in my brain in that like, okay, it's just Harry's childlike view that some people's exams get cancelled, but I refuse to believe that he cancelled the exams for the OWL and NEWT students. Are you telling me a whole year group didn't get their qualifications, their qualifications and some of them that they need to get their jobs because Dumbledore cancelled the exams? The other thing I possibly think is, do you remember your end of year school exams actually used to be at the end of the year? But your major exams, like your GCSEs and A-levels, so NEWTs and OWLs, used to be earlier. Mm. And I think in book five, it mentions that their exams are in May, but this whole Chamber of Secrets debacle happens in June. Yeah. So maybe those students have taken their exams and Dumbledore's Mm. just cancelling the end of year ones. But it's just not explained very well. I'm like, what about the qualifications? Uh Like, I'm having having to work hard to rectify this. Yeah, and also, like, if... Exams mean so little that you can just cancel them. Like, even if it's just, like, you know, non-qualification exams, yes. just end-of-year tests, then why have them? Yes. It's just unnecessary testing. Mm. Like, don't get me started on the UK's over-testing <sighs> of our generation and the effect that that has on people's mental health. Yep. Like, we are so overly tested They in the made UK. us. They've now cancelled this, but I went through formal testing. What was year two? Age seven? Yeah. Yeah. That they made us revise for formal testing in year two. And then all my other notes, I kind of fall into both plot and adaption. I'm going to put them here. They're basically, I want to talk about that final scene in the film. Um, and just that it's number one, a great scene. And number two has some really great, I've never realised this before, additions. So obviously we've just read the final chapter and like, the feast sounds really good in this chapter, but they kind of gloss over it. They're like, Harry couldn't decide what was best. When Hermione ran in, when Hagrid came back, when blah, blah, blah mm-hmm. happened. The film takes the time to like focus on all these things. So yeah. the bit where Hermione runs in is my favourite part of the film. I actually get quite teary over it. I just love the like emotions of her running back. I love the way they filmed her running through the students. I kind of hate and kind of love how she hugged Harry and then has the awkward handshake mm. with Ron. I hate it because I'm like, no, but I also yeah. I get what they were going for. I love the thing they do where they have like Ron sit for her sit back and then Harry sit back yes. behind him and it's just the most gift thing ever and it's hilarious. It's so good. I think like that gif is like you and yeah. me in certain times, like something's ha- something someone says Harry Potter at work. Yeah, we're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, literally me in like any like situation. Same. My like proudest moment was in sixth form in like um we had like not like a common area, but like sort of like a common area with loads and loads of computers where yeah. everyone could work at. And I was like the other side of it. It was like quite a large like 
room right like like a very large room and I like heard my name being screamed from across the room and I was like what the fuck is going on and then I looked and my name was being called by a bunch of people like I'd never talked to like they were in my year but like never anyone yeah. I'd like remotely socialise or talk to or anything yeah. and I went over like oh great I'm oh, about no. to be bullied yeah. oh they're gonna make fun of me yeah, yeah and actually they were taking a Harry Potter quiz on Sporkle do you remember yes, Sporkle Sporkle we should take some Sporkle quizzes as, an ex- as extra content yeah yes. And um, yeah, so they called me over to help. I was like, I've never talked to you before. How do you know I like Harry Potter? That is fantastic. That's the legacy you want in life. Yes. yes. Another great addition in that scene is Hagrid walks in and says, sorry, he's late. My la- my letter got lost on the way. Yes. Some ruddy bird called Errol. <laughs> and it's such a good callback to the beginning of the film with Errol slamming into the window. I'm like, yeah. why didn't they put that in the book? That's a great yeah. callback. And it's so good, the look that Dumbledore then gives Ron. Yeah, it's like, like knowing uh, look. And Dumbledore also, the look is also like, I gave you one job. One job. One job. I it's love so good. It. And the final so scene, in, the final scene in general it's just so wholesome. Oh my God. And so cheesy. Almost the point of disgusting American happy or like, yeah. not, sorry, not disgusting American, but like those <laughs> American, we start defending America. No, like those American family films, which yeah. always end with like swelling music. Yeah. Like, and it's so cheesy, but also so perfect because all the films from here on in are pretty dark. Like, yeah. and even Prisoner of Azkaban ends on quite a melancholy note. So yeah. this is the last film where you get that pure yeah. happiness. And you really feel like the entire school is united, even the Slytherins in this moment. Like, everyone yeah. is happy. Aside from Malfoy is doing his normal sour yeah. face thing. But everyone else is just so united and it's really happy. And I was going to talk about this in cinematography, but as we're talking about it now, like, the score. Oh. Oh. And it's the last time they use that piece of music until the end of Deathly Hallows. And I remember walking into Deathly Hallows just being like... I need them to use that piece of music that they use at the end of Philosopher's Stone mm. and Chamber of Secrets. And they did. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed oh, yeah. and sobbed. Because like, that piece of music is yeah. so There are certain pieces of the Harry Potter score that just oh. make me cry. Yeah. Just, I love them so much. Like, absolutely. Oh, so good. So good. So, so Like, that's good. the thing where if they ever redid it, if they couldn't get the rights to use the original score, I think it would be such a disadvantage for yeah. the next adaptation. It would ruin it. I, like, like, you just, you can't the music. do the music better. No. And so, like all of it, like even the different scores like tie into each other yes. so well. Yes. And, oh, good. So good. good. We're so eloquent, but like there's just no other way to just and also, so I don't good. know much about music. Like, I don't know why they're good. No. Because I don't know loads about music. I just know they're perfect. Mm. Yeah. On to the next section is... Casting. Casting. Yes. So, first one, Mr. Weasley. Aww. So, I've written, couldn't be more perfect. I've written the same thing. But, does make me think of 101 Dalmatians. Yes. Yes, it does. Which Aww. is, to be fair, Great film. See, it makes thing. me think of The Borrowers. And you need to watch that because it also has Tom Felton in. Yeah. But yeah, I love him. I love this actor. And I was saying that kind of like really watching this and paying close attention Mm. has made me realise I think Mr. Weasley is one of my favourite characters. I think he's a very underrated character. I agree. I just think that he's brilliant and he's very like nuanced in quite like a subtle way, if that makes sense. Like I just, I love him. I think that he is more complex than he's given credit for. I think that he's good and pure. He is. Um, He just wants good things yeah and he wants good things and he's he's not afraid to be a rebel when he needs like when he tells harry about Sirius Mm. in the third book when he shouldn't and things like that and 
I think he's really, really great. And I think that the actor playing Mr. Weasley, I really bad at actors' names. Oh, we don't know anyone's names. We're yeah, sorry. I just, he is Mr. Weasley. No one else could have been Mr. Weasley. No. He is perfect. I agree. I think he's completely perfect. And the only note I made was that I, it's a shame that because of how rushed the film's got and things like that, they didn't give this actor a chance in the later films to show the more emotional stress side of Mr. Weasley. Yeah. Because obviously he plays the kind of scatty, bumbling, loving, hardworking father so well. And there's that bit where he stands up to Mr. Malfoy, which is fantastic acting, where he's like clearly trying to protect the kids. So he's like, come on kids, let's leave with a bit of like Mm -hmm. a, "Mm mm-hmm, whilst being like, we have a different name of what disgraces the name Wizard Malfoy. But I think there's actually, I've watched a deleted scene from Deathly Hallows where him and Ron have a discussion in his like tool shed. And it was such a different side to the actor I haven't seen. It's such a shame that oh. scene didn't make the cut. Uh, you've got to watch it. It's really good. Because mm. it's also a great bit of acting Ooh, from Rupert Bonus Grin. episodes we can do. Deleted scenes. Deleted scenes. That's a really good one. Yeah. It's also a great bit of acting from Rupert Grin. So it's a shame it didn't make it in. But yeah, he's the perfect choice. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I had two casting notes actually who appear before Mr. Weasley, but they're oh. not really casting notes. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Daniel Radcliffe's voice oh, and the fact yes. it broke in this film and it's so cute. It's so good. He's so raspy yeah. and like high and low. Like he'll say one word and it'll be like a one syllable word yeah. and yet he'll be on like three different pictures. And I actually remember going to the cinema and being shocked at how different his voice sounded. Like I remember that feeling mm. of being shocked because in that first he's like, I can't let you out, Hedwig. <laughs> yeah. And I remember like it was like at a time when we were kind of like, this was like, yeah, before we were seven. We, yeah, so we had a very limited understanding of puberty. Yes. But I remember like people have been talking before it came out about like, oh my God, like are they going to have to recast because of puberty? Like that kind of thing. Are mm. they going to grow up too fast? And I remember before seeing it that people were talking about how allegedly like their voices were breaking during it. And I remember that this being something that I paid attention to when going to see it and uh, thought, oh, they sound weird because people have been referencing, oh, it. their voices are going to be breaking. And that was, in a really weird way, my first, like, um, understanding of yeah. what puberty is. Because before then, like, I was I was seven. We hadn't really had much sex ed. Oh, no, like, not at seven. Not much at all. No. Yeah. Um, my other casting note, which technically falls into cinematography, but I wanted to put it in casting because he deserves it. Dobby. Oh, yes. Um, well, number one, his CGI is really good for the early oh, 2000s. Yeah. Like, oh, so I, good. I've heard people say it's not very good. I'm like... For early 2000s, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. You compare some of the other films that were out at the time. Yeah. And I like, if like you it... rewatch Scooby Doo, do not the CGI. No. Just I the will C- hear no criticism just against the, the Scooby Doo live action films. They are the best films ever. And I part will of not the reason hear is the terrible, terrible them. CGI. I will, I... Those monsters, when they like boing out. No, I won't hear a word against it. I'm sorry. Um, and also we looked up the voice actor of Dobby and realised it's a man who's been in everything 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 do not recognise him been in everything I do recognise him but I didn't realise how much he'd been in but he's very good yeah he is we like we stand next is Lockhart Kenneth Branagh it's the only name I know Um, perfect how did you make such a wise choice film I know they considered I think we've talked about this they considered Hugh Grant for this role I really would have liked that. No! no! I don't... I, I do like the guy that plays Lockhart. My criticisms are, I don't think he's attractive. I do. At, you're weird. He um, is! Hand tweet us if you think Kenneth Branagh's attractive. 
Oh, we need to put a poll up on Instagram. Yes, Kenneth. No, hold on. If I if it's Kenneth Kenneth Branagh versus Hugh Grant, then Hugh Grant's more attractive. No, no, no just is he attractive? Oh, right. Yes or no? Is Kenneth Branagh attractive? Yeah, but like I, in this <sighs> film, not now, because now he's like still attractive but quite old. Yeah, but no, like uh, to be fair, I don't like blonde men, but I genuinely I do not find he's attractive. I think that he is really good for the character in a lot of ways. He's got this really like slimy mm. kind of. Uh, charismatic, smarmy, kind of, like, full of himself. I don't think he is attractive, which I kind of feel like adds to the character because it's more funny if you have a character that's like, oh, I'm so good looking, and he's really, like, not that good looking. That kind of adds something. I would love to have seen Hugh Grant, especially after having seen Hugh Grant in, I think it's called something like a very English scandal or a very British scandal. I can't remember. It's very English. Oh, it's so good. You will love it. Okay. Um, I mean, I do love Hugh Grant and I'd love to see just like a screen test of what it would have been like mm. with him. But I think I've seen a different side to him in that. And I think why I don't like Kenneth, whatever he's called. Grana. As much. I still do like him, but I don't think he, like he, he really highlights the comic relief side of the character. And right. I feel like Lockhart deserves to have that darker side to him See, as well. See, I was concentrating on the final scene and I think that really did come out. Like that almost disgust that the boys had like um, got him into this situation and what he was going to have to do. It does, but it I feel have like into it could have... Um, yeah. Another actor may have been able to do that side better. And yeah. I, I would I, love I seeing Hugh Grant do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um... I, I do really like him in the role, but I'm just open to saying that I think someone else could have done it. I mean, that's better. fair enough. That's fair enough. He's just one of the actors where, and this is the thing with the child actors, not so much, but the adult actors, a lot of them, I, when I like read the books, mm. I can only see the actors and yeah. like, cause they did such a good job. You and know he who definitely is. Good? Who? Colin Firth. Yes. No, sorry. It wasn't Hugh Grant. It was Colin Firth. Oh, was it? Yes. I, <laughs> I love that you got those two confused. I'd like oh, to backtrack. No. Hugh Grant was not considered for the role. Colin Firth was good. No, wait, now I don't know which one. Fuck it. Let me Google. Okay. Because Colin Firth would have been incredible. Oh God, I'm on 5%. Um, I can confirm. Dun, dun, dun. It was Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was right the first time. I confused myself. I would have loved Hugh Grant as it. I also would have loved Colin Firth. I mean, they are essentially the same person. Yes, yes, they are. Um, but yeah, I think either would have been amazing for it. I'm very surprised yeah. that neither of them were cast in, I mean, Harry Potter at all. Well, this is the thing. Like, everyone always jokes that... And everyone always jokes that Harry Potter got every British actor that exists. But actually, the two that missed two out. Biggest, two of the biggest ones. I feel like the two as well that, like, reached the US the most. Yeah. But, but I well, feel like both Because they those... even got David Tennant. Everyone forgets that David Tennant Ooh. is in these films. I can't wait. <gasps> um, my vagina. Yeah, but um, one of the best actors for some reason, acting the worst he ever has in his life. <laughs> Next actor is Lucius Malfoy. I just wrote Beyond Perfect. Beyond Perfect. Like, I couldn't imagine anyone else doing it. No. But um, I feel like that way for a lot of them because I'm just yeah, so Especially to them. the adult actors. Like, I said that you can tell this actor is a stage actor. He is incredibly posh. Yep. And he's very theatrical. Theatrical with everything. Which I feel like I, I love what they do in a very Potter musical where they turn him into this, like, prance Yes, with the cake. Because <laughs> it just... Yeah. No, it, it is him. Yeah. And what I like is in this film we get a lot of... He gets just a lot of evil one-liners and eyebrow raises but mm. what I always remember is the moment in Deathly Hallows part one where Voldemort takes his wand and just the face acting from that actor yeah. is out 
standing in that mm. moment so it just i just know this actor just gets better with each film with the more complex the role gets yeah. so it was such a great casting choice i mean so wow good. i'm really lucky because i feel like then later on the actors that he's around obviously helen helen is it helena it's helena Bonham helena Car- Bonham carter who is just fucking incredible jesus christ like, what a cast <laughs> anyone that you put in scenes with her just needs to hold their own yeah and he does and yeah. he does in a way that makes the character di- a different kind of evil it's mm-hmm. very good uh yeah. the next one that i wrote down was professor sprout all i wrote was good good i wrote good would like to see more yeah she seemed fine i uh, liked her yeah she very much looked exactly like professor sprout she oh yeah looked. like oh, i was yeah. like that is how did you find someone who looked that good <laughs> yeah and i would have loved to see more of the whole lesbian love triangle between professor sprout Madam Hooch um, and, and Professor Grubbly Plank. Yes. Yes. I uh-huh. am here for it. I also just would like to see more friendship between Professor Sprout and Professor McGonagall. Because it's gone into quite a bit on Pottermore and we see it a little bit in the later books. But it's just not done in the film. And I, I just would have liked that. Yeah. Next person we mentioned is Colin. Uh-huh. I wrote, very good for a child actor. Better than a lot of them in there. Oh yeah, definitely. Really good. Really um, good. Looks like a mini Lockhart. Yeah. Which I kind of like. Uh, I like the faces he pulls. He was a lot better than a lot of the child actors in it. So well done to him. Yeah. Again, it's sad he wasn't kept in because he was kind of replaced by another weird small child in film Oh yeah, five. there's just like no explanation. And I'm to this day convinced it was like one of the producer's children. I am as well. But what I don't get is if, if they were going to have a weird small innocent child who I'm pretty sure they kill off in the last film, yeah. why not keep the actor who plays Colin who you're emotionally attached to because yeah. you've been through the fact he's a weird small child. Like why are you <laughs> doing small this? Child. They're just weird small enthusiastic child yeah. children. Next up. Myrtle? Myrtle. So my main note is about her age. So how old is she? Well, is she is a different question to how old she was during the filming. That's clearly what I meant. I am going to check. I don't want to get it wrong. So I I really, I did like Myrtle, but I also feel like it's a role that a lot of different people could have played. But like, yeah. that's kind of the role. It's nothing against the act- actual actress. It's just quite a one-dimensional role. I mean, she makes it very comedic, which as we've discussed, that was a path the films chose to go down, whereas Mm. they could have made it a lot more tragic because it is very tragic. Oh, I've just remembered something huge they cut out that I missed out of my adaptation notes. Like a massive thing. Let me write it down before I forget. Yeah. Um, But something that I do find um, with like the casting. So obviously for like, I love the fact that for Harry, Ron and Hermione and all the people in the year group, they did actually start with like child actors who were the correct age. I Mm. love that. But then when you're... um, having like the other people like young Voldemort who was 23 and moaning Myrtle who was do we have an age yet yeah would you like to guess so she's playing a 14 year old I know she's really old I can't remember the age I don't know 37 yeah so when you're having people in their 20s and 30s playing high school students so this is always um there's like a really good example that goes around about the Hunger Games films where they have photos of the main two, you know, Peter and Katniss, yeah. of them when they were actually 15 versus, versus when they were in the 20s. And but, it makes the film so much more harrowing when you have children that are actually that age and you're like, they died. So seeing Myrtle played by someone that was actually, is it 15 when she died? Yeah, would have been if a you, lot more harrowing. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's then no longer like this comedic relief character. Mm. You could still have the comedic relief, but it then really would have hit home that she was someone that was going through 
puberty yeah and all the things that you go through when you're like 15 yeah and is now stuck as a ghost going through that. and like she's a very young looking woman and I, I like understand what they were going for with the casting and also like i know with the hunger games like and a, with a, a hell of a lot of films where they do it like the percy jackson films why they choose to age everyone up just so the acting's better and i i would rather watch a film with very good acting and just suspend a bit of belief about how old they're meant to be I like it depends that. on the film harry potter would never have worked because of the length they were doing yeah. it but if you are really struggling to find 10 15 year olds who are going to act that well i yeah. do support putting them all at 20 yeah. see i think with like films like hunger games i think it adds a lot even if the acting takes a bit of a hit one i think you can find like 15 16 year olds oh you can find very good ones. yeah you just and, need to work harder at yeah, it and i think that you even if they're less great at acting you get the kind of like bonus that it's more harrowing to watch them like murder yeah. each other. And then I also think that, you know, this culture that we have where it's like every like rom-com chick flick mm. ever where the high school students are played by 20 somethings, it has this really horrible knock-on effect of it helps sexualize people off that age. Yes, so now so when does. you have like pedophilia and like rape cases against people that are like 16 and younger and even, you know, 17, mm. 18 year olds, people associate their like, okay, but, you know, all I see every day yeah. in the films is that they look this age. So you start to think as 15-year-olds, not as 15-year-olds that look like children and yeah. are children, but as these 20-somethings. And that that's what leads to the whole, oh, but she was asking for it, she came on to him kind of things yeah. that you get. I know this you is forget a bit of tangent, children. No, but no. I think that it's really important to cast children as children yeah. because it really it has knock-on effects in society. No, it does. And I really think the Harry Potter films, I think they would have gone through a very hard decision. I think they would have seriously considered hiring 14-year-olds to play the 11-year-olds and then... But the problem is because they knew they were going to be filming for so long, they chose to go with the age yeah. of the actors. And even then, they got a bit old towards the end because it had taken them 10 years yeah. to film. But it was absolutely the right decision because that moment where, like, Harry's screaming and crying in Goblet of Fire, that is a 14-year-old actor screaming and crying and you feel it 10 times more because yeah. it's a child and it shouldn't be happening. And if they were doing that with an 18-year-old, the emotions would have been quite different. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I had a note. This is kind of about casting, acting. Tom Felton, um, the line that made you laugh where... Um, he goes, why are you wearing glasses to either Crab or Goyle? And he takes them off and says, I didn't know you could read. <laughs> Completely ad-libbed in the moment. Really? Yeah. He, that was not in the script. Oh my God. It was just meant to end with him taking the glasses off. And the, and Tom Felton, age 12, decided to add it in. And they were like, <laughs> that was so good. And kept that I take. I love that. Uh, I'm not actually surprised. That it's so Tom Felton. It's so Tom I love him. I didn't know you could read. It's such a good line. It's one of the so best good. lines of the film. And he ad-libbed it. I Amazing. love that. Next one I have is Young Voldemort. <laughs> I just wrote fit, fit, fit. Yep. All underlined. Yeah. I wrote fantastic. Wished it could have stayed the same actor throughout the films because the second young Tom Riddle, the second Tom Riddle they got was terrible. Um, <laughs> he's very charismatic and he plays Oof. that charismatic evil, but someone who you're being beguiled yeah. by so he, well. He really does summarise my sexual awakening. He also, I realised like the look of him, which was quite a good decision. He really like his face structure and the way they styled his hair looks very like, 1930s 40s which i realized mm. would have been the correct time period so actually a very good decision from them it had like a kind of uh first world war to second world yes. war kind of classic look to him which mm -hmm. i thought really added because sometimes when they do the flashbacks because it's all still in hogwarts and hogwarts looks old-fashioned anyway i think they can forget yeah. how to do a flashback and i think they do forget that in later films because young tom riddle 
doesn't look 1940s or third. I think it's meant to be 30s. Yeah. But this one he really does, and I really like that. Yeah. And he's fit. Fit. And we did Google his age. He is 23, yes. so we're allowed to refer to the fact that he's fit as we are both 24. Unlike me, still referring to Sean Biggerstaff as fit in the first film. How old film, was he? 16. Fudge. Oh, yes. I didn't make any notes, but go on. I, um, I can, I can, I can ad lib. Yeah, I, I really like Fudge. I just feel like he looks like that politician. He looks like Nick Clegg if you aged him up a bit. Like he's the perfect like simpering politician. Yeah. Like really, just like you can tell through his acting, he's just so concerned about what other people thinks and it's all for appearances and yeah. he just seems like a slimy fucking politician pompous white man like they pompous. got it down oh, they yeah. got it down yeah really really good like he's not in it that much but like very happy with that he's casting he's got bit parts now in most of the rest of the films and it works really well yeah um, I wanted to shout out um, Rupert Grint's acting in one particular moment in this film he was very good in this film he's given most of the comedy lines in this film and cut yeah. out all the emotional bits which I'll get on to in adaption yes yeah, and obviously will. he does amazing comedic acting we all know this but he's given one emotional moment he's allowed one where he goes to confront Lockhart and he's given the line but you're our defence against the dark arts teacher which was actually Harry's line and he's given it but the raw emotion Rupert Grint said that line with because he's like what about my sister you're our defence against the dark arts teacher I was like oh oh I felt that well done Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to shout him out yeah because he's gonna listen and be like oh I'm so glad Hannah Twig from Goblet of Wine shouts out that one line I did yeah 14 years ago. You're welcome, Rupert Grant. You are welcome. And then the last actor, which even though she appears at the beginning of the film, <gasps> we saved till last because she didn't have any lines, was Ginny. She actually doesn't have a single line until the last 10 minutes of the film. Does she have any lines before? No. Oh, Mummy, where's my jumper? Yeah. Uh, awful. So bad. Beyond bad. This the is what I said. The worst acting I've ever yeah. seen. I'm so sorry. Uh, I think Bonnie... Bonnie... Right, right, yeah. And I said this when we were watching it, but like most people, if you're not a good, like if you're not like a good actor, you can still like kind of act. You can do like a passable amount of acting. Mm-hmm. Most people can do that. It's, it's, it's fine. You know, we all had to do drama in year eight. Yeah. Most people can, you know, be not awful. She is so beyond bad where it's like, you know, I feel like they cast a lot of the young ones, especially, you know. Ginny, who they didn't know was going to be such a character as she was. Mm. Like, they knew she was going to be more than she was in the first film, but they didn't know, you know, later on, obviously. But, you know, I feel like they cast them knowing, oh, you know, even if they're not great actors, they'll be able to get by, you know, chances are, and just base, you know, And, you know, we can train them up, because they paid them to have classes in between each film, which really shows with the trio, Uh because they get so much better. But she is so beyond bad, it is bizarre yeah and the thing that scares me is she can be bad in this film whatever she gets no better and if anything gets worse her acting in film six makes that film almost unbearable and i'm really sorry bonnie wright is actually i think a a, a great person has done a lot of activism since she's left potter has started off some charity clothing brands all about sustainability has gone on to do some really great amazing things but she can't not know <laughs> so bad it's so painful. so bad and yeah she becomes such a big character and it really it plays into part of what plays into it is steve close's terrible writing of harry mm-hmm. ron Ginny, and hermione and the way he put all the relationships between them but also part of the reason i can't see harry and Ginny together in the films is just because there's just no yeah chemistry it's just pain it's painful big time. okay cinematography my first note and i have to admit i watched this film and i remembered it but i am going to shout out which please in this moment because this note definitely comes from them 
in this film, Harry has a drawing of Hedwig on his wardrobe. <laughs> Who drew Hedwig? Is Harry spending his free time painting his pet owl? What else would he be doing on his summers in... Where's he getting drive? the paint from? Is he so bored he's sitting at his desk painting? He's like, what shall I paint? My own owl. And then he's like, I'm so proud of this. I'm going to stick it what on my wardrobe. What else is he doing? This is before the internet was really much of a thing. He's stuck in private drive. We know later on he just becomes a bit of like a hooligan wandering around. What else is he doing? I don't know. I just find it. Like, just try to imagine Harry Potter sitting down at his desk and painting his own owl. And not painting his owl, painting a picture of his owl. Whilst really? the owl is sitting there watching him. Really cute. I don't know. I don't... This doesn't really fit into cinematography, but kind of like the more like uh, costuming side of cinematography. No, that's cinematography. In the uh, shot in Diagon Alley, Harry's in his robes, his like, school robes. His cloak, but with his muggle clothes underneath, which to me makes actually quite a bit of sense. And it annoys me how much they cut out cloaks and robes from the later films. Yeah, but I just... It's a bit, it's a bit weird. Well, like, no, it, it stood out to me. Well, number one, it, it wouldn't be cold enough for them to need their coats in august like i know the uk's cold but it's not that cold you don't need your cloak in august yeah but it, to me it makes sense like because these are children they don't have the money or they haven't got other cloaks apart from their school cloaks so if it's a bit cold they throw that on rather than a coat because they don't own coats but harry would own coats because he was always like yeah but he wants to do the same thing the weasleys are doing i just i think it like i don't know it stood out a bit weird to me because in like other films it's always like they get and books they get on the train and then they have to yeah change so it's like they were going to Diagon Alley which is magical yeah they just I think they just cut out cloaks and robes too much from the films when it moves on a bit yeah I now don't have another point on cinematography for quite a while I have a lot I love cinematography um I pointed out the tree is not a willow it's called the Whomping Willow and that tree is not a willow I wanted to talk about I thought it is no it's not what is it I don't know it didn't look like a willow it looked like an oak or something no, I'm sorry. That's definitely... I'm now good... That's a willow. It didn't look like a willow. Willows are much more droopy. But Maybe it, I don't know what a willow looks like. I feel like you don't know what a willow... That's definitely a willow. Let's see. Hang on, I'm googling willow for you. I used to have a willow in my garden I know university. what a willow looks like. Ooh, you lived at a fancy university house. No, it just had a tree in it. Like, a willow's like that. And that's not what it looked like in the film in the slightest. No, it is. It's just that's a willow without... It didn't have any leaves on. It was too chunky. No, willows are chunky when they have no leaves on. I think the issue with the Whomping Willow is that you always see it without any leaves on, but that is what willows do. They, like, really... They, like, shed. It's, like, it's 100% a willow. It's just, like, you normally see willows like that. Fine, it's a willow, but... It's a willow. I'm correcting Hannah. Fine, it's a willow. Um, I wanted to talk about Hagrid's hut because I didn't know what other film to talk about it in, so I'm going to talk about it in this one. Um, I learned from the Harry Potter studio tour, which we will go to at some point, a special treat. Yes, give us money on Patreon so we can do that. Yeah. Um, that they actually created two Hagrid's huts um, with two of everything. So there was one which was extra small so that when Robbie Coltrane sat in there, he looked ah! big. And there was one that was extra big so when the kids sat in there, they everything looked giant size and they looked small. And it's such an old-fashioned cinematography trick. Like I love that, though. To, to just make something big and something small. How simple, how clever. So smart. I know, really I smart. That. I just I just really like that. And I wanted to shout it out because next film, Hagrid's Hut will have a major upgrade. Yeah. It gets another room 
And moves location. My next point was why are there lemurs in Professor McGonagall's classroom? Yep. That was all. Mm-hmm. Why are there... I'm not sure it's um, good for lemurs to keep them in a cage in a classroom. No. I don't think that's what they want. I had a note and I'm not sure where it fits in, like pre-lemur or post-lemur. Okay. But like the bit when um, after Harry gets his bones all knocked out. Yeah. Um, just the skelly grow bottle. Yeah. Is beautiful. So cool. Why can't I, we buy that to have like, like vodka in yeah, it? Yeah, like I think it's one of my favourite props in the entire film. Ooh, it's wow. just so well done. It is. It looks amazing. It's very cool. Very magical. I wish, can you buy that as a prop? I don't know if you can. I don't think I've ever that seen that one. That would be great to drink out of. I was going to say about the Quidditch that the CGI is so bad still. They still yeah. haven't mastered that Quidditch CGI. It's nope. so terrible. Which I I'm, I bring this up a lot. I love that the Quidditch CGI is terrible in the first two films because of how good the CGI is by film seven. And it shows the advancement of CGI literally in film history in one series of films because that's how long it took to film them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. Um... I said there was a really pretty shot of them making Polyjuice Potion. That bit where they're first in the bathroom and Hermione's yeah. sitting in front of the cauldron. It's a pretty iconic really shot of her and there's sunlight pouring through yeah. the windows. And this, I was just like, oh. Yeah, this entire oh, hello. film has like just like the scenery is absolutely amazing. So yeah. Hang on. I've written down the ones that I really liked, I think. So Dumbledore's office. Oh, so looks good. absolutely. Such attention to detail. Yeah. And then the chamber as well. Oh, Amazing. Just absolutely beautiful. Really creepy and really like they've spent so much money on that chamber and it's worth it. It looks yeah. really good. I think there was another scene as well that I thought was absolutely beautiful. I can't remember. I but know. like just a lot of the scenes that they make in this just look absolutely amazing. Like that's something that they did so well. Just yeah. like and they're like... about to do it even ten times better in the next film. Because the next yeah. film is like a fucking advert for Scotland. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Like, but yeah, they do it so so well. They do. Oh, this is something that really frustrates me about this film and it's something they continue to do in later films. All the spells that they cast at each other, and it's very obvious in the dueling scene because they're all close together, all the spells they cast at each other, no matter what the spell is and no matter what J.K. Rowling originally wrote in the book, the lights are just white and Mm. whatever the spell does, it just throws the person backwards in a different pattern. And I'm like, how dare you have like a visual, like working something so visual where you can do anything like you can take jk rowling's words and be so creative with that and have so much creative freedom about what magic looks like and you can really invent that for a generation as well like what magic looks like for a generation but instead you decided to go with white light and people get thrown in the air yeah it's just boring it's just not creative and it annoys me because i can come up with 10 more creative ideas just sitting Mm -hmm. here yeah what i do love in the dueling scene though is their costumes they're done really (gasps) i love that like doublet thing that that uh lockhart wears no no no. snape's in the doublet lockhart is in like a fencing that's like a fencing vest is that not called a doublet because snape's just in his robes no he's got like it Snape's in like a button down the middle thing. Oh, That's yeah. That's what a doublet is. Oh. Like old fashioned. No, Lockhart, because I used to do fencing. Oh. Yeah, so I love that he's like in a fencing vest. Like, hang on, I'll Google fencing vest. I don't, yeah, I didn't think it was like padded like a fencing vest. I love no, the slightly billowy sleeves coming out of the vest. Yeah, so he's wearing a fencing vest with like a shirt under. Which I think for dueling is like really good because it's kind of funny because it's like you're not actually like the reason obviously investing uh, fencing you have that vest is to protection. Yeah, from protection. Swords. But it's really funny to wear that for dueling because it's like a similar thing, but obviously you're not actually getting like poked with something. No. And, but I just think it's like really smart. Yeah. Like 
the costume, costume person is just great in all these films. Like they make some really good decisions. Yeah. Um, we talked about while we were watching it how amazing Forks looks. Um, oh, I I have another fencing note. Oh, sorry. Do carry on with your fencing notes. Yeah. So, like, like you said, like it's really really boring how um, like they just fly across the room. For yeah. Everything. But something I realized when watching this because there's that like scene where like Harry like flies very yeah. dramatically across. How do you get child stunt actors? That doesn't seem humane. I don't know. How does how is that a thing? Or, or they just they just, use, they like, just a small adult. They might just use a small adult, and also they might have just got Damrad's parents to sign off on them flinging him oh, about the no, room. Oh, no, 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 insurance, they never could have. No, uh, uh, which of them was it who wanted to do a lot of their own stunts? Which of the three? I think it was Emma Watson, mm. who kept asking to do a lot of her own, and they were like, but you're very but, expensive. But she, she doesn't have many stunts, though, does she? Not as many as the other two, but like the bit where she jumps on the dragon, like she wanted to do that herself. She didn't yeah. want her, act, her stunt double to do it. Yeah, I guess that's a bit different than being flung across the room yeah but yeah like child stunt actors that is a thing that's but how I don't know maybe just a small adult and then yeah yeah anyway um yeah so we were talking about how good forks looks I have a few points on this number one this is a fantastic example and an example why this film stands the test of time better than uh, Philosopher's Stone is that the bird and later I'll talk about the snake are both practical effects not CGI Mm -hmm. so they're animatronics Uh, the bird is completely um done by a uh, remote um i've met the person who made the bird and the snake he's called nick dudman he did all eight films and uh, credit to him he also did aragog um and he's just fantastic a very talented man and i think that's why this film in general holds the test of time better than a lot of the others because they chose apart from like quidditch to not cgi a lot of the creatures they instead chose to make the creatures out of animatronics and prosthetics and therefore you know we're watching this 17 years later it still looks really good the bird in particular looks so good and i know this from nick dudman that when the actor that played dumbledore walked onto set he went up and like started to like go to the bird and there was a woman stood by it and he thought it was the bird handler so he was like oh can i can I touch it? And she's like, yeah, it's fine. And he was like, oh, it's amazing. How did you train it so well? Like, it's really well trained. <laughs> and he kept saying things like, "Like, how long have you had it? What's its name? And in the end, they were like, oh, oh, it's a robot. Oh, no, it's a robot. <laughs> the actor playing Dumbledore actually thought Forks was a, like a big parrot. To be fair, he's very old. He's very old. <laughs> I thought the... And not long for death. No, he dies (laughs) in a few months after this film finishes. But I just love that he thought the bird... Um, Also, how proud would you have been of the people, like, if you were the person that made the bird, where they were like, "Uh, by the way, he thought the bird was Mm -hmm. real? So good. Oh, no. My next note was that the Polyjuice transformations were also done really well. That was CGI that holds up pretty good. Yeah, but, like, gross-looking. Yeah, like, the the faces are all bumpy. And then the next note I have is about the flashback scene, which I think I know you made a note about in cinematography. Mm. So I have a note to saying that Kat Amani was shit, though. Yeah. Like, that just looked bad. Fur on her face. Awful. So I just... Obviously, when they do the flashback, it goes to, like, sepia tone. Yes. And then Harry's, like, the one in colour. Yeah. Which, like, it looks good, and I get why they did it, but it does remind me of, like, back in, like, Bebo days, when you used to, like, edit everything, so everything was black and white. Right, and you were in colour. Yes. 
yes yeah. or you like you'd pick out just the reds and yeah you'd wear yeah. red lips and it does remind me of that yeah i like i see what they were going for but and it's quite a basic effect i was gonna say the bit at the end of it where it's st time starts to slow down and harry screams hagrid's name as he's being pulled backwards out the memory yeah. it gave me chills like my arm was like the hairs on my arms are red like Daniel Radcliffe's screaming was quite good. The way they slowed time down. The way the door slammed, even though it wouldn't have slammed in real life mm. in that time, was just a clever way to show you that the memory was finishing. I just thought that was... In a scene where they... In a film where they'd chosen quite a lot of basic things to do rather than being creative, I thought that was a nice way to finish it. Yeah. Um, Aragog, again, fantastic fantastic yep. animatronics yeah and i actually i love all the like when they're then racing away in the car and all the little spiders like, what <laughs> little spiders still massive it's but you know fucking compared spiders. to aragog when they're scuttling the way that the movement is is so perfect it's, it's so spidery how a spider moves and it's so creepy and horrible yeah. horrible uh, i do have another did you know moment um oh, from God. meeting nick Dudman. um nerd nerd um you know, every time they were talking to Aragog, the only shots of Aragog were either from the back of his body or close up on his eyes. Mm. So that's actually a weird crop they had to do. Originally, they filmed Aragog from like this distance and they'd animatronic the mouth of the spider to talk and then they were going to get an act to talk over mm. it. And when they dubbed it all in, they thought it looked terrible because it is just an animatronic mouth opening. And yeah. they were like, this looks so shit. And they were like, we don't have the money to refilm. We're way too late. So they literally just cropped in as close as they could on just the eyes so the eyes would blink. Uh, whilst the actor was doing the lines oh um so yeah pretty like last minute simple fix they had to do yeah um but yeah thought that was pretty cool uh cinematography part two uh i said that chamber secret is amazing really creepy and detailed yeah. i love all the tunnels going into it yes i love that really they didn't just good. do one tunnel they decided to do all the branching off tunnels yeah yeah it, like worked really really well really well absolutely beautiful and really fucking creepy and it made you imagine, like, what else is under there? Like, mm. there's the Chamber of Secrets, but there's some other things down those corridors, and that was really good. Yeah, I also said, just in full caps lock, snake, so good. Snake, so good. So good. I have more facts about the snake. Nerd. Um, again, animatronics. So um, they said they were going to CGI the snake, mostly, but they asked Nick Dudgman the, and the practical effects team if they could just create the jaw and the eyes so Daniel Radcliffe would have something to act against. Mm. And he was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to. Oh, my God, so much fun. I get to create a snake's mouth and they came into the workshop when the snake's mouth was done saw it and they were like that's amazing can you do the whole head and he was like yeah sure i'll carry on do the whole head they came in again and they were like that's amazing and they ended up coming back three times and just kept extending the mm. snake until they ended up doing i think he told me about nine foot of the snake oh my god fully in animatronics and then the tail is cgi'd and then they add on cgi like slime and obviously the mm. eyes and stuff um but apart from that it's completely animatronic and i think it's the best creature effects in all the films yeah i think it will always stand the test of time mm -hmm. unlike and we were just we were comparing it with skip forward seven years in filmmaking but it looks terrible is the giant in film five yeah some of the worst cgi ever looks awful even a year on whereas that snake we're 17 years on and it's still scary yeah. and oh it's my believable god, it's terrifying it's horrible oh my god like it, it does just absolutely look amazing yeah and, and it's, it's really it's, creepy you can really easily um compare it to jurassic park which oh my god oh. that was like the 90s i love talking about jurassic park cgi versus yeah. practical effects it's my favorite oh topic oh my god like that looks absolutely amazing yeah. even now whereas like you have so much stuff that just looks absolute crap yes yeah. it's cgi avatar has aged terribly even though it was at the forefront of technology because they chose to use cgi mm -hmm. jurassic park 
still looks good to this day because they spent the time and money to do animatronics and practical effects. Yeah. And there's actually been a movement in the film industry, like the latest Star Wars films only use CGI to enhance rather than do yeah. completely. Obviously, some of the stuff is CGI completely, but mm. a lot of the creatures, they're now choosing to do practical effects with CGI enhancements because of the fact that stuff ages so badly. Yeah. I just love it. My next notes are about the sword. Um, as an adult, I've realized, and after watching Game of Thrones, that sword is fucking tiny. So small. That is not, was small. Godric Gryffindor like a four foot? Like that is not a fully grown adult sword. It's the same size as needle in Game of Thrones. It's yeah. tiny. Absolutely small. And then the best bit of the entire film is when Dumbledore tells Harry to pick up the sword and he picks it up by the blade. Yeah. Ouch. You can't pick swords up by the blade. Nope. Once you see that, you're like, how and did he know he even, like hold it by kind of the middle bit? He like he fully, literally just he puts made his a fist around it, around the sword. And I don't understand. Like, yeah, maybe the two actors didn't really think about it. But how did uh, normally on a set standing behind the camera, you have at least forty people? How did none of them go? Uh, excuse me, you can't pick up a sword like that. Did no, no one step in? Bizarre. It's such a bizarre decision. And that's all my notes on cinematography. Same. Let's move on to the last section. Adaption. Or is it adaptation? Who is it knows? the same thing? This film is quite a close adaption, adaptation, yep. I'd call it. Uh, the first thing it does is skip a bit of the summer. I called it preamble. In the books, mm. it's a little bit more set up and fucking about in the garden. Yeah. Whereas this film just goes in with the dinner party, which is a pretty good decision. We know what's happening. Just mm. basically a lot of things are exaggerated. Yeah, I feel like they do the first half really, really well. Mm. And I love the burrow scene. I think that's so, so good. good. I feel like, yeah, they say pretty true to it in the first half and the things that they do change are kind of like needed. Yeah, or to add drama. Yeah, I feel like towards the second half, it's still really, really good. A lot better than some of the other films. But mm. like there are bits where I'm like, you don't have to change that. Like the entire scene with Ron finding out that Ginny's been taken in. No. It's then, the worst. It's, it's the worst. They did a really, really bad job of that. I feel so, like they so really underappreciated that moment and were like, no, this is something we could cut, but yeah, they did a it poor, a disservice. So yeah, I feel like as it goes on, it gets really, it gets a lot worse until they get to the, obviously the scene at the end that we talked about. Where with, they decide to add a lot in, which was a great decision. really worked. But yeah, I feel like there were moments when I was like, no, you yeah. didn't do this as and there's, good. And Ron gets a lot of bad bits in this adaption. Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I think I've got a whole paragraph on that. Um, one of the things I noticed that they added in, so they added in a lot of stuff to bump up the action, which I understand. It's a film. You've got to make it look more exciting. But one of the most hilarious ones, which just makes Harry look like a dickhead, is when Vernon falls out the window. After yeah. He, like, and the boys are in the car just laughing. And the way he falls, like, he's fine. But he really could easily have broken his neck or his back. And Harry's just like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, Dude, don't be that heartless. I mean, to be fair, he is his abuser. Yeah, but also... Yeah, yeah and he was, like, chasing him out the window, but, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they cut the Malfoys out of Borgin and Burks. It was filmed and was cut out. Oh, really? Yep. Um, Harry actually hides in the Vanishing Cabinet. That is a deleted scene. Amazingly, even though this film was two and a quarter hours there's another half an hour of deleted scenes from this film heaven uh, I don't they just couldn't decide anything to cut uh, one of my most annoying bits about the film and time to start what they do to Ron they change it so Hermione has explains what a muggle a mudblood is and knows what a mudblood is and cries about it 
Yeah. That makes no contextual sense. No. Why would she know? And why, even if she knew, why would she be upset about it like it's been a problem her whole life? Yeah. Like, you get that it kind of sucks, but I don't feel you think you would feel that, like, emotionally attached to it. Yeah. No, it doesn't really make any sense. No, and, like, like, having Ron do those lines really showed that he was a very different pure blood to Malfoy, that he would always stick up for Muggleborns, he'd always be the one to jump to Hermione's defence, but instead they just stick him in the corner vomiting. Um, then Hermione takes Ron's line uh, about telling the teachers about the voice. It's Ron in the books who says, no, you shouldn't tell anyone. They give that to Hermione. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's all sorts. Ron, uh, in the spider scene, he gets all his bravery taken away from him. Yeah. Um, rather than the whole bit in the book where he like looks at Hermione's chair and it gives him confidence to go. And he's like, oh, I, I hate spiders, but we're going to do this. He, is, he has no lines and just does this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> gets to do everything and Ron just basically cries the whole time and yeah. it oh it annoys me so much yeah she's very worked up guys I'm so worked up yeah. um there's no gap between them following the spiders and being in Hagrid's hut seeing and being taken which actually makes sense like do them both at the same time yeah, whatever that's her. um the biggest thing they cut out which I noticed was the death day party oh yeah and I only noticed that once we started recording uh yeah, yeah they cut out the death day party um, they also cut out, this bit made no sense. Um, you remember in the books when Hagrid rushes to Dumbledore's office to defend Harry and said mm. he wasn't the one who did the attack because he bumped into him in the corridor. Yeah. They cut out Harry bumping into Hagrid, but then Hagrid still goes into Dumbledore's office like, I know it wasn't him. And we're like, why? Just because you really like him? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's like good at picking up on that stuff. I'm like, ha ha ha. I like film. adaption. I like adaption. Um, they make a lot of other things dramatic. Quidditch, the bludger chase scene is given a whole new like dance through the stadium, which fair enough, it's a visual medium, make it exciting. Spiders, you have an old extra chase scene where a spider wraps its arms around Ron's neck and like pulling him out the car, which is pretty disturbing. And then the snake chase scene, again, in the fil- in the book, he, he basically stays in one place and like the snake doesn't do much to him, but in the film he's going through pipes and the snake is following him and he's running around pipes and then it bursts out the water in the most horrifying thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Um, so yeah, they add some things in, they take some things, things out. out. Adaption. The adaption sections will be a lot longer in the later films because Jesus oh, Christ. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, why are we doing the Churchill dog? Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Our 15% of listeners from the UK will get that. Yeah. No one else will. No one else will and I'm not going to explain it. Nope. Nope. Casting for me? Eight out of ten? Nine out of ten from me. Cinematography for me, honestly, like ten out of ten. Wow, I'm gonna. Mm. Cinematography for me includes the pacing of the film, which I find terrible. Mm. So it's being dragged all the way down to a six. Oh, because see, for me, I'm just considering like the visuals no no i'm trying to do like the director's choice to like pace the film quite slowly and things like Mm. that i'm trying to put you take that out though oh if you take that out it shoots way up yeah Yeah, it's it's good looking film Mm. yeah and then adaption i'd I'd give this one the highest out of all the films but maybe like a seven i don't know i'd give it an eight or a nine i feel like it's a very close adaption i feel like i would give it like a seven if you include what I think it actually improved, then like an eight. Yeah, yeah, because a part of adaption is improving, not mm-hmm. just cutting. Yeah, I'd go eight then. Yeah. 
This was a really lovely film. I said at the start, it feels like a hug. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a lot darker than we give it credit for. It is like, a lot darker than I think. fucking terrifying. My God, that snake scene. How is this a kid's film? And mm. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like younger people will be like, what, this is nothing. But like, you have to appreciate we first saw this when we were... Seven. Seven? It was fucking terrifying and that will always stay with me. Yeah, no, definitely. I remember crying in my dad's lap in the cinema. I was like, yeah, I can't watch it. Yeah, so scary. So scary. Um, but yeah, a really sweet film. So sweet. I know, it's time for Prisoner of Azkaban! Yes! I feel like this is what we've both been looking forward to. I have so much to say about Prisoner of Azkaban. I feel like it's going to take so long to get through because I'm like, I have so many thoughts! So many feels. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's where things start to kick off. Yes. So excited. Thank you guys for getting through Chamber of Secrets. Thank you for still listening for some bizarre reason. Why are you still listening? Yeah. <laughs> Have a lovely day. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To keep up with us in between episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod, on Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast, and on our website at www.gobletofwine.co.uk. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on Facebook. Thank you so much to our producer-level patron Sandra for her help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us, as well as gaining access to behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes, check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash gobletofwine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.